His name was Qusay ibn Kilab. Was one of the offsprings from the lineage of Prophet Ismail alayhi salam. He is the one who took back Mecca into the rule and governing of Quraysh. He fought off the people of Khuza'ah. He took it from them and put it back into the hands of the original Arabs that came from Ismail and Bani Jurhum, which later on became Quraysh. Everything of Mecca, its waters, its key to the Kaaba, its houses, its earth, its soil, the Kiswa that's over the Kaaba, everything goes back to Qusay ibn Kilab's people, to Quraysh. And so, my brothers and sisters, the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ, Quraysh, they are the ones who now were the custodians of the Kaaba and everything surrounding it, the Haram and the whole of Mecca. Qusay ibn Kilab had a son by the name of Abdu Manaf and another son, Abdu Dar. And a few other sons. Abdul Manaf is the important one. And Abdul Dar is second in line. Abdul Manaf is the great great grandfather of the Prophet, followed by the great grandfather who is Hashim. And then after Hashim came Abdul Muttalib, who is the grandfather of the Prophet. Now, Abdul Manaf, this great grandfather of the Prophet, he had a few sons. Two of them, Hashim, and one of, and the other one, Al-Muttalib. Al-Muttalib and Hashim were brothers. Hashim's wife, her name was Hala, Ummu Shayba. That means Hashim had a son named Shayba. Hashim died, and his brother Al-Muttalib. He went to take his nephew, Shayba, to look after him. But his mother, Hala, she refused. She says, this is my son. He said, let me look after him. You're not going to be able to, and all that stuff. Shayba grew up a little bit here, was old enough to choose. So he said, mother, let me go with my uncle, Al-Muttalib. And so Al-Muttalib took him, and he left. He went and carried Shayba on his camel, when he entered Mecca, the people looked at him and they thought that he was his slave. So they called him the Abd of Al-Muttalib. But by the time they found out he was his nephew, the name had already stuck to him and therefore he was nicknamed Abdul Muttalib. But his real name is Shayba. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Abdul Muttalib, he had one son named Al-Harith. And Abdul Muttalib, he really wanted more sons. And one day, he saw a dream. 
in that dream for four nights. First night, he saw someone coming to him saying, Dig Tiba. And he said, What is Tiba? And then he woke up. The second night, he saw the same man coming to him in his dreams. He said to him, Uhfur Barra. He said, What is Barra? Didn't answer him. Third night, the man came to him and said, Dig Al Madnuna. He said, What's Al Madnuna? No answer. That he had, they had no idea. On the fourth night, the man in his dream said to him, Dig Zamzam. He said, What's Zamzam? Nobody knew what Zamzam is. So when he said, What is Zamzam? The following words were said to him in his dreams Dig Zamzam. It has never dried out and never will, nor will it ever thin out. It stays consistent. It can give enough water for the largest amount of hujjaj that go to hajj. And you will find it between blood and animals' intestines. Exactly where the white-winged crow will peck in the ground. Near the colony of ants. So he got up, took a shovel, took his son Al-Harith, and went around the Kaaba. He's sitting there thinking, how am I going to find this? He said, ah, this is the first sign. There's the blood and there's the intestines. But where do I dig? There was probably about 20 meters between them. As he was waiting, he saw a white winged crow come down and peck in the ground. He went towards it and saw the colony of ants. He said, there it is. He started to dig. Now the Arabs saw him do that. And by the way, that was between the two gods, Isaf and Na'ila. It was between them. You know, a sacred area. Why are you digging there? They came to try and fight him off. And Abdul Muttalib said to his son, Harith, fight him off, son. Don't let him come near me. He started fighting him off. He's digging away. Finally, he saw, subhanAllah, he saw the bricks, the circular bricks that the Arabs had built like the ones you see in a well. Suddenly, the Arabs stopped. They saw the water gushing out. They said, let's go partners with you. you know, we're together here, go partners. He said, no, this has been given to me by God, Allah. They still believed in Allah. Remember, they worshipped the idols, not because they believed they were the gods. It was a channel between them and God, remember? So they said, we'll fight over it. He said, hold on, I'll fight you. Then one man came up and said, what's this man Arabs fighting Arabs? Let's go to a fortune teller so-and-so. This particular fortune teller lived in Khaybar, months away journey. So on their way, in the middle of the desert, they ran out of water. The other tribe had water, Abdul Muttalib and his small family or clan, they didn't have, they ran out of water. And you know, in the deserts over there, if you run out of water, that's it, you're going to die. So they sat down and said, let's dig our graves and get ready for death. As they were sitting there, Abdul Muttalib gets up and says, what's this? This we don't give up. I'm going to keep searching. As he's walking around where his camel was sitting, subhanAllah, he saw a little bit of water coming out of the ground. So he dug and the water came out. The other Arabs looked and said, not again. They came up to him and said, Ya Abdul Muttalib, you truly have been favored by Allah. We're convinced now. Zamzam is yours. Let's go back. 
And so Zamzam became to the lineage of the, the ancestors of the Prophet That was the greatest honour. Later on became the chief of, of Quraysh. And he was in charge of Zamzam and feeding the Hujjaj. And remember he said, Ya Allah, give me children. He called out to Allah, If you give me children, if you give me ten boys, I will sacrifice one of them for you. He made an oath. And so, Allah did give him. He gave him ten sons. Their names were Al-Abbas and Hamza, Abu Talib, Abu Lahab. There was Az-Zubayr. There was also Abdullah. There was also Hijr, Dirar, Al-Muqaddam and Al-Harib. As for his aunties, he had Safiya radiallahu anha. He also had Ummu Hakim, Atika, Atika, maybe she was a Muslim, Umayma, Arwa, and Barra. Six daughters, ten sons. Ten uncles, six aunties. Al-Abbas and Hamza, half uncles. Now, he has ten sons. Abdul Muttarib looks and says, I have to fulfill my oath, man of his word. So he goes in front of one of the idols, he sat, he brought one of his sons. Who did he bring? He brought Abdullah. Now I'll tell you how he found out it was Abdullah. You see, a fortune teller told him, you've got to throw an arrow. You've got to spin it around, whatever it lands on, that's the person. And the arrow landed on Abdullah each time. Ten times landed on Abdullah. And Abdul Muttalib was saying, I wish you it doesn't land on Abdullah. Anyone but Abdullah. Anyone but Abdullah. I think it was the second youngest. Because he loved him the most. Each time it landed on Abdullah. So then the people came and said, what are you doing? I have to fulfill the oath. I'm a man of my word. It's my oath. This is my honor. So then some Arabs came and snatched Abdullah off him. And Abdul Muttalib grabbed him and the knife was in his hand. And he cut his head. He made a scar and Abdullah was called Abdullah al-Ashaj, which means Abdullah with the scar on his head. They started to fight him up. Then one leader got up and said, Ya Abdul, Ya Abdul Muttalib, please, for the sake of Allah, let's find a solution. We'll go to a fortune teller and ask her about your situation. So they went to another fortune teller and she said, if one of you killed another person by accident, what would the blood money be? They said, we give them 10 camels. She said, okay, get the arrow and put 10 camels and Abdullah on the other side. Throw the arrow. Every time the arrow lands on Abdullah, add another 10 camels. Until the arrow goes to the camels. And he did that. Put Abdullah and 10 camels, the arrow landed on Abdullah first time. He added 20 camels. The arrow landed on Abdullah's third time. Added another 30 camels. 40 camels. 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. Finally, the arrow landed on Abdullah and he slaughtered all these camels in the name of Allah and fed the people with them. And so Abdullah married Amina bintu Wahab. Amina bintu Wahab is also from Qusay ibn Kilab and she is related to the Prophet ﷺ, his mother, from Hashim. She was a Hashimite. And his father was a Hashemite, 
everybody respected the Hashemite, they were the most noble. And so the Prophet ﷺ was born from two noble families. Abdullah, the father of Muhammad ﷺ, it was said that he was born in the year 545 and he lived for only 40 years. He was 25 years old when he married Amina. Amina anha was slightly older than him and she lived up to 47 years of age. They married each other. Uh, a few months later, she became pregnant with the Prophet And at about six months pregnancy, Abdullah, his father, was going on a trade to Asham. On his way back, his father died. So the Prophet became an orphan before he was born. It is said that Amina bint Wahab, when she was pregnant, she saw a dream that a light was coming out of her belly. And it went all across Mecca, across the Arabian Peninsula, all the way to Busra in Iraq, past the Sham, all the way to Iraq. And she saw someone in her dream saying, Say, I seek refuge in Allah the only, from the harm of anyone who is jealous. And so she woke up, and there was a woman named Barakah. At that time when, when Amina was pregnant, Barakah was a teenager. She was an Ethiopian woman. Her lineage is unknown. Abdullah, the father of Muhammad وسلم, he bought her as a slave. So she was a slave of Abdullah. Treated her like his own daughter. So she loved the family of the Prophet She had this thing. She was a very positive person, a good counselor. And was able to give the proper counseling to make you calm down and feel good about yourself. When Amina had this dream, the first person she went to was Barakah. Because she was very trustworthy. She confined in her. And she said to her, Ya Barakah, this is what I saw in my dreams. And Barakah said to her, Wallahi ya Amina, he is not an ordinary son. Allah is going to give you something special. Barakah said, I'll never leave. She looked after her and the day came when the birth of the Prophet ﷺ became a reality. It is said that the Prophet ﷺ was born on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awwal in the year of the elephant, 570 CE, about 50 days after the elephant episode. He was born on a Monday, no difference about it. But, mark my words, nobody knows when the Prophet ﷺ was specifically born. And anyone who tells you that doesn't know. There is no evidence, no source at all. Nobody can pinpoint the exact day. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Barakah was the first human being to touch the Prophet ﷺ. And she helped deliver the baby. She is the one who covered him. And she is the one who gave him to his mother Amina when she gave birth. After he was born, Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather was still alive. Abdul Muttalib has now, is now sponsoring him. 
and he is absolutely over the moon about the birth of this grandson. He takes him immediately to the Kaaba. He enters inside the Kaaba and he calls upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless him and thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what he has given him of a son. And that's when Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather, names him. It was Abdul Muttalib who named the Prophet Muhammad. It was the custom of the Arabs that when a child was born in Mecca, they sent him to people in Yathrib. It had vegetation, it had date palm trees, it had more water, it was uh, more civilized because there was the heart of Arabic. And to be raised among their own society and their pu- in their pure form and without any distraction. So my brothers and sisters in Islam, Rasulullah was now a baby ready to be received by someone from Yathrib who they used to come to Mecca and these people used to come and get paid for their work. The Arabs never put a standard price to their service. It was against their honor and dignity to say this is worth something. So what did they do? They left it up to the individual. They were called honorariums. Whatever you think your dignity tells you to pay me, I will take it. And whatever you give me, my dignity tells me, don't question it. That's how the Arabs work. Along they came and one of the ladies, she was, she, she, she was poor and her husband was poor. This particular lady's name was Halima to Saadiya. As the women and men were going to, to Mecca, it took them, you know, a month or two months journey almost for some of them. She took what she had, it was called a female mule. That's all she had. It was very skinny because they were poor. They couldn't feed it too much. Once she arrived, subhanAllah, everybody took a baby. And who did everyone avoid? The Prophet Why? Because he was an orphan. He didn't have a father. And if you don't have a father, it means there's no, no money. Also, his uncles were not very rich. Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather, was also poor. Abu Talib was poor. They would barely have enough food for their children. And sometimes they would go a day without food. Halima Saadiya was the only one left. Halima was one of those humble people that was a bit of an introvert and she was shy. So she said to her husband, Wallahi, I cannot return back to Yathrib without a baby with me. This is a shame. They'll start saying things about me that I'm not capable. Wallahi, I won't leave without a baby. And subhanAllah, it was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted this honor to Halima Saadiya to give her the best creation of earth, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So she took him and she didn't negotiate, as we said, any price. And Amina, whatever she could afford, she paid it. Halima Saadiya took him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and went back to Yathrib. My brothers and sisters in Islam, it was the custom and tradition in those days that you look after a child for about a year and a half to two years. In, the t- in that time of two years, remarkable things happened. Halima Saadiya found that firstly her female mule carried lots of fat, it became big and strong. She had sheep, a few sheep, and they also started to carry lots of milk and lots of meat to the point where the people of Medina used to say, Ami, follow the sheep of, of Halima, wherever they graze, you graze there, maybe that's where all the nourishment is. And subhanAllah, they used to send their sheep to wherever Halima Saadiya's sheep were, 
and their sheep will return exactly the same. But Halima Sa'diya's sheep would double, quadruple. And Halima and her husband knew that there was a blessing in this child, subhanAllah. All the blessing and the rizq started to come, their crops started to grow, their nourishment, subhanAllah. When she noticed this, the two-year period had passed and she had to return the child back to Amina. So she started to think of as many excuses as she can so that Amina can approve of sending him back to her. When she came back to Medina, she begged her and said, look Amina, this child, you know, look, mashaAllah, he's put on weight and, you know, alhamdulillah, he's blessed and, you know, give him another couple of years, you know, he deserves it, he's your only child, he's an orphan, you're going to put him back here into Mecca in this hardship, leave him with me, wallahi, I'll look after him the best, until she convinced him. They took him back and by the age of about four years old, something remarkable happened. Halima Sa'diya noticed, she said, he grew four times faster than a normal child. He was extremely sharp-sighted, full of wisdom, he used to focus. And he was extremely brave. He was beautiful. He was calm. He was clear in his speech. He was able, at the age of two years old, his speech was like a six-year-old. At the age of four, his speech was like a ten-year-old. By the age of four years old, he was playing with his siblings when one of his brothers, Abdul Rahman, he ran back to his mother, Halima Sa'diya, scared, and his other siblings saying, Mother, 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 two men came to Muhammad, and the Prophet, peace be upon him himself, after he became a Prophet, he talked about this story. He said, I was playing with the children when two men came to me. <clears throat> I did not know them, they were wearing white. And it was Jibreel alayhi salam, and some say it was Mikael with him, alayhi salam, the angels. They gave me a blow which made me unconscious, and they had a bowl made of gold with zamzam water in it. They took out my heart, and I could barely hear what was going on, and they took out a black coagulated piece of blood. They took it out of my heart, they took it out, and then they washed my heart in the zamzam water, and they said to me, The shaitan will not be able to whisper to you after today. When Halima Sa'diya saw this about the Prophet ﷺ, her and her husband became scared. They didn't know about angels and things like that. They thought it was a jinn. So they said, we better return him back to his mother before something else happens and we're blamed. So she came to Amin and said, look, you know, subhanAllah, you know, alhamdulillah, we had a lot of time with Muhammad. And, you know, as time went by, we got very busy now and we felt that you hadn't seen your son for a long time. And, you know, you can take him back and... Amina looked at her and said, Halima, what's so different about it this time? She tried to make up excuses. Then she said to her, Halima, I can tell from your eyes you're not telling me the truth. What really happened? And she said, Wallahi, this and that happened. She told her the story. And Amina said, and what? She said, La Allah, jinns would not come to him. I saw in my dreams the time that he was in my belly, in my womb. Someone came to me in my dream and taught me these words. I seek refuge in Allah to protect him from every jealous, envious person, from every shaitan. Amina then took the Prophet ﷺ back. And he grew with his mother from the age of four years old, just with his mother, while Abdul Muttalib was looking after him and spending on him. At the age of six, Abdul Muttalib took him in by himself because at the age of six years old, 
his mother, Amina, died. When Amina died, with her was Barakah, Umm Ayman. She was about 16 or 17 at this time when Amina bint Wahab died. She was on her way back from a journey, not inside of Mecca, outside of Mecca, in a place called Al-Abwa, a few kilometers outside of Mecca. So on her way back, she struck a fever, and her and Barakah were the only ones there. The Prophet ﷺ was six years old. So he's well aware of what's happening. When Amina felt that she was going to die, she, under, she could see, she could tell. She brought Barakah close to her and said to her in secret, she whispered to her, but the Prophet ﷺ was sitting aside, he can, he can actually hear the conversation from a distance. Amina didn't want her son to hear this. So she said to Barakah, Ya Barakah, I'm about to pass away. Oh Barakah, I want you to be his mother after his mother. I trust no one else but you. SubhanAllah. And Rasulullah ﷺ saw Barakah crying at that point. A few moments had passed and Amina went into unconsciousness. Then she died. Now Rasulullah could tell that Barakah was crying and the Prophet would look at Barakah. The next minute he would look at his mother. He would look at Barakah, look at his mother. And he understood that his mother had died. So what did he do? He literally leaped onto the chest of his mother Amina. And he started to cry kissing her and, you know, wiping his face and his body onto her, like what a child does. He said, yeah, my mother, my mother Amina. Barakah took him away. He looked at her and he remembered what his mother said moments ago. He said to her, as if he's pleading to her, you're my mother after my mother, yes? And Barakah nodded her head, hugged him, said, yes, ana ummuka ba'da and she looked after him from that point onwards. She wouldn't leave him alone. Wallahi, she refused to get married to anybody until the day came when the Prophet ﷺ married when he was 25 years old and he brought her into the house saying, Ya Barakah, I got married. Now it's your turn. And she said to him, I will never leave you alone. Who's going to look after you? He said, I got Khadijah. Look at beautiful. He said, No, I won't get married. I've got to look after you. That she was so attached to him. After the death of Amina bint Wahab, the mother of the Prophet wasallam, the next person to take custody of him was his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. Abdul Muttalib <coughs> looked after the Prophet wasallam from the age of six years until the Prophet wasallam was eight years, two months and ten days. That's when Abdul Muttalib died. My brothers and sisters, it was here. By looking out, being looked after by the chief of uh, Banu Hashim, who was Abdul Muttalib, that the Prophet ﷺ at a tender age of six years old began to be exposed to the Arabs' environment, their social, political, eco the economic lifestyle, the geographic environment, their religions, their relationships, and their customs. Abdul Muttalib treated the Prophet ﷺ better than his own children. That's how much he loved him. Abdul Muttalib had a mattress that the, he used to sit on and put his back to the Kaaba and speak to the people. So one day, the Prophet was about seven years old, he went and sat on that mattress. So his uncles, they're older than him, they came and started telling him to get off the mattress. 
for his grandfather out of respect. And when his grandfather came along, he said, La Wallah, do not let him get off my mattress. For Wallahi, this grandson of mine is going to have a tremendous position one day. They knew that right from the beginning, brothers and sisters, from all the signs that they had seen. And one day, Abdul Muttalib found that Rasulullah, even from a tender age of six and seven, he would bring food to his grandchildren. His uncle Abu Talib would bring food to his children. And all of them would rush to the food because food is scarce. In fact, Mecca was known for poverty, hunger, lack of clothing. It was known for that. So all the children would rush to it. And guess who would sit aside? The Prophet at the age of six and seven. And when he noticed that the Prophet would sit aside, he would go for one, two days, three days without eating. Just to monitor his own character from that tender age. So then his grandfather noticed this and started to leave some food aside for the Prophet to eat. So by the time he was eight years old, my brothers and sisters, Abdul Muttalib died and Abu Talib, his uncle, took over the custody. Abu Talib looked after the Prophet from the age of eight years old all the way. He supported him until he was 48 years of age. 40 years. Abu Talib looked after his nephew and he would never leave him. He would always support him. He also loved the Prophet ﷺ more than his own children. His treatment of other people started to depend on how they treated his nephew. They loved him. And he realized that there seemed to be a cloud that always followed the Prophet ﷺ wherever he went. Everybody used to witness that, a cloud that kind of followed him. And he realized that wherever he went, there was blessings being increased. One day there was a drought in Mecca. And the people came to Abu Talib because he became the chief of Banu Hashim. They said to him, let's make dua at the camp for Allah to give us water. And like Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather, Abu Talib did the same. What would he do? Before he'd go to make dua, he'd take his nephew with him. The Prophet and says, come with me, you sit next to me. Because he knew that any dua he made, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it. SubhanAllah, they made the dua and there was abundance of rain coming, SubhanAllah, and vegetation. At the age of around 12 years old, the Prophet started to work. The Prophet became a shepherd. Every Prophet and Messenger of Allah, every single one of them was a shepherd once in their lifetime. Every single one of them, brothers and sisters. And there is a wisdom behind it. Number one, humility. When he speaks to you, you feel that you are important. He makes you feel you are important. He also learned tenderness, reflection and contemplation. They say each sheep has its own way that you've got to deal with him. You don't treat him all the same. And the Prophet ﷺ had to learn to be patient and adapt his, uh, his, his um, approach to suit the individuals. The Prophet ﷺ, as he grew up, brothers and sisters, he never witnessed any dance or mixed parties. One day he had a curiosity to attend a wedding or a party in the town. So he said to his friend, look after the sheep 
while I go and attend this party. I want to see what it's all about. He says, on my way, I fell asleep. And when I woke up, it was all over. The next few days later, he heard another uh, commotion. There was a party going on. He said to his friend, look after the sheep. As he was walking, he fell asleep again, subhanAllah. And when he woke up, it was over. And he said, I realized, Allah, this is not meant to be for me. Rasulullah hand never touched the hand of another woman who was not lawful for him. Even from a young age, a teenager. He was very observant, fair. Things were no big deal to him when he lost the game with his friends. He used to play with the boys in the street and he always smiled and all the kids loved him. Having said this, my brothers and sisters, I feel right now to show you what Arabia was like through the eyes of the Prophet ﷺ as he is growing up. They were patriarchal. They stuck to the defense of their bloodline and lineage and clan more than anything you can imagine to the point where if anyone hinted something offensive about their clan, friend or foe, they will fight along with all their clan, and wallahi, it'll keep going on for centuries. Their fathers, they owned everything, including the daughter's marriage conditions and her dowry, her bridal gift. The fathers took it all. The women, they were mostly free women. Women could, you know, they could make their own decisions. And they were held in high esteem and privilege to the point where a family would die to protect the honor and dignity of a woman. Decisions of tribal war or friendship were based on the woman. Women almost had the last say and her say was implemented. Adultery and fornication was not really a shame. The Bedouins only made friends with the people who shared their blood. Their motto was, this is what the Bedouins used to say, assist your brother whether they are the oppressors or whether they are being oppressed. As for their economy, trade was mostly respected. But traders risk their trade journey because there was hostilities. If a clan was fighting another clan, they won't let you pass. And so we own this territory, you can't pass. Except in four months, they were called Dulqada, Dulhijjah, Muharram and Safar. They are called Al-Ashhur Al-Hurum. It's still in the Qur'an, you're not allowed to fight in those four months. If you're a farmer or a shepherd, they look down upon you. Except in livestock sales. If you are selling camels or you're selling horses, you're okay. But if you're a shepherd, you're nothing. There was knitting and yarn spinning, mostly done by women. That was the only industry business they had. Production in Arabia. They did textiles, but it was very poor. Poverty, lack of clothing, hunger, and all of that was in Arabia. Although these bad things existed among the Arabs, the praiseworthy virtues of the Arabs were hospitality. They would go into debt, starve their families and themselves in order to feed the wayfarers, the hungry. But they didn't do that because they wanted to. They did it because it added to the esteem and prestige of their own bloodline, the glory of their clan. Courage was amazing with the Arabs. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, this honor of agreements, impeccable self-esteem and self-determination, never to give up, was the strongest foundation the Arabs had, which Islam came to build upon. 
When the Prophet ﷺ turned 16 years of age, he took part in a sacrilegious war. It was called Harb al-Fijar. This war happened where Quraysh, they attacked another tribe, Hawazim tribe. So Hawazim retaliated. And then the months of Haram, the Haram months, came in. The Quraysh stopped out of respect for the four sacred months. Hawazim, however, broke this law which had existed for thousands of years. They broke the law, went into Mecca and still continued to fight and shedding blood. Now because of that, the ones who were in the right now became in the wrong. It was then, my dear brothers and sisters, that the Prophet ﷺ took part in this war. So the Prophet ﷺ said, I used to go and collect the arrows so they can reuse them again. But the point is, he took part in it. He took part in it. And the Prophet ﷺ, after Islam, he actually was speaking about it proudly. In one hadith in, in, in Sunan Ahmad, he says, I do not regret taking part in that battle. And lastly, Rasulullah in his early 20s, the Prophet took part in something else which is quite interesting and important to mention. It was called Hilf al-Fudul. What happened was that uh, a Yemeni merchant went to Mecca and he was selling some stuff. And there was a, name, a man named by Al-As ibn Wa'il. He is the father of Amr ibn Al-As. He was a rich man, a man of Quraysh. He was a leader. He was a, a very important man. So he bought this merchandise from this man and he refused to pay up. Why? Because the Yemeni man doesn't have a clan. His tribe is all, all the way in Yemen. There was no government, no court, no police, nothing. It's just, you belong to a tribe, you're protected. Otherwise, try to work your way up or just walk away. So what happened? This Yemeni man said, I'm going to use poetry. He stood up in front of the Kaaba and made a huge poem that would humiliate the living daylights of the origin of every tribe that was in Mecca. So what happened? As Zubair, the Prophet's uncle, stood up. He said, we've got to do something about this man. Let's find out. And they found out that truly the man was, was dealt with unjustly. So they went to uh, one of the wise men of Quraysh. His name was Abdullah ibn Jad'an. He said, what should we do? They met there and they made a pact. They made an allegiance. They called it the allegiance of Fudul, the allegiance of justice. We will make an oath that anyone who treats anyone unjustly, we will lift the sword and we will stand up outside their house and declare war against them until they give back the rights of the people, their victims. Who was there? The Prophet was there. He said, I witnessed the allegiance in the house of Abdullah ibn Jad'an. It was more appealing to me than herds of cattle. Even now in the period of Islam, I would respond positively to attending such a meeting if I were invited. They allied together on returning remaining rights back to their owners and so that no oppressor can oppress another person. The man thanked them, changed his poetry and off he went. 